awesome. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's crazy that we're actually at this point. I'll stand here because they said I have to be two meters away. I'm sure that is two meters. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to take my mask off. <laughs> I was going to do it the whole way through with my mask on. I'll just keep it down. Cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's crazy that we're actually at this point where, where it's actually physically. And um, I think that during the time of, of lockdown and just um, being in, in a scattered space, I think that the Lord has done a lot. Um, although it's been uh, difficult for a lot of people, uh, the scripture says that he turns those, those situations into good so perhaps you're still in a bit of a struggle, but God is doing something in that struggle. Although you might be facing a, a difficulty, he's, he's, he will use that, and um, he'll produce something that is good. And um, so I think tonight is, uh, I've just been thinking about, like, what is, Lord, what do you want us to, to talk about? What, what is your heart? And I'm going to talk to you guys about church. <laughs> Because we're in church, and um, you know, I've just been reflecting on what church is, and and I mean, like, just thinking, Lord, what did you intend for church? How did you intend church to be? And I'm actually just going to ask you, just for one moment, just close your eyes, and uh, just also want to, before I do that, acknowledge the people online. What's up? It's nice to have you with us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just for a moment, just close your eyes. And I just want you in this moment, because there's going to come a picture in your mind. When I say church, what comes into your mind? What picture do you see? And with that picture, what is your expectation of church? You can open your eyes now. And that picture that you have, I'm going to actually challenge you with that. I'm going to actually tell you to actually allow the Lord in that space because I think that the Lord wants to do something special and unique. And I think that the Lord wants to actually show us what His church should look like. And perhaps at the end of this, you'll be like, yeah, it was pretty right. <laughs> or perhaps you'll be like, whoa, I really wasn't right. But I see this space as a bit of a space to kind of reset the way that we view what church should look like. And obviously, we need to go to Scripture to see what church looks like because I'm not going to come up here and tell you what I think church should look like because then I'm going to give you a Stephen's perception of church but not God's perception. And we can have good ideas for what church should be and how it should operate, but at the heart of it, it's about God's view. Because Jesus said to Peter, he said that on this rock, I will build my church. That's not Stephen's church. It's not Letitia's church. It's not, it's, it's not even Hatfield's church. It's God's church. And uh, if you have your cellular devices, because we are young, um, majority of you are young enough to have a phone, so you should have a phone. <laughs> and if you can, um, turn with me to Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. And um, 
just going through this, one of the commentators uh, that wrote commentating about the book of Acts actually said that uh, the, the author Luke, who, who chose to, to write about this, um, this amazing letter and this amazing book, uh, he actually used, and I'm going to call it pillars, to what defined the early church. And obviously the early church is the beginning of church. But what is so fascinating about the scripture is it said at the end in verse 47, it said that the Lord added to their fellowship daily. Uh, just, I think that's key in, what, in, in just in terms of church. It's, it's that church wasn't just about us coming together and then just staying here. Actually, church was about the growth of God's church. She said, I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to build my church on this rock. That means that the rock is going to it's, it's going to get bigger, it's going to get better, it's, it's going to grow. It's not going to stay there. The Lord is actually saying, I'm going to build my church. But, but these pillars define what the early church looked like. And it starts with this. I'm just going to read the whole passage and I'm going to break it up a little bit. And this is what it starts with. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Just a disclaimer, I'm not telling you to go and sell your cars and stuff like that. It's the heart of it. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What do we see in the very first, first verse that I read? So that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I mean, can we just stop and see what that means? To devote yourself to something means that I'm actually going to commit myself. I'm going to give my all to the apostles' teaching. And it meant that what, what was the teaching actually? Because Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and teach them everything that I have taught you. So they, they were devoting themselves, they were, they were availing themselves to, to Christ's teachings, Jesus' teachings, the Word of God. But it didn't just end there, because when a master teaches a student something, or a teacher teaches a student something, what actually happens? They go in and apply it. So that means that the early church actually dug into God's Word. But they didn't just stop there. They didn't just get together like, yeah, today we're going we're gonna to memorize this verse. So much so that we can go and tell everybody what Romans 8 verse 10 says. <laughs> we're going to do it over and over. And we're going to be able to memorize this in Hebrew, in Greek, in Aramaic, in Latin, in, in all these languages. And we're going to be, become great theologians. Now, I'm not discrediting that. But the heart of it was that they would take the Lord's word as his word and they would go out and apply it. Secondly, you see that they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship is not only just going and grabbing a coffee with a friend. Fellowship is us coming together. I mean, there's some of the people in this room, I don't know you, but guess what we have in common? Jesus, his mission, his gospel. Because he said that we must go and 
<laughs> we must go and make disciples. That's what we're sharing in. We're sharing in the nature of Christ. We come here and we share in who Jesus is. That's what fellowship is. The Bible meant it for so much more than just having a brine on a Saturday afternoon. The, the Bible had the intention, when, when the Lord inspired this, this book to be written, he, he intended for us to, to go deeper than just sharing bultong and, and all those things. And those are, I'm not saying those things are bad, but God wanted his power to be revealed, not only in the saints, but through the saints, so that the people who are not part of this flock would come to this flock. Jesus said in himself, he said that there's, there's going to be people, that there's sheep out there that still need to come into this flock. How are they going to come into this flock if we're not devoting ourselves to the mission of God and sharing in that mission? The other pillar that we see is that they, break, they, they were breaking bread together, sharing in the Lord's Supper. They were remembering Christ. They were remembering what Christ did for them on the cross. But it's also key to understand that it's certain practices that the Lord declares holy, such as baptism, such as the Sabbath. Those, and, and obviously the Sabbath, I'm not saying that, we, that you have to observe it because in, in terms of like if you don't do it, you're going you know, to go to hell or whatever. I'm saying that the Lord made the Sabbath so that we can rest. There's a holy aspect to that. There's a holy aspect to that. And lastly, the other pillar is prayer. They got together and they prayed. You know, in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John were arrested, what happened? They went to the believers. And what did they do? They all lifted their voice together. And they did something very radical and very strange for me, is that they asked the Lord for more boldness. Imagine being in prison or, or being held prisoner for a night and, and you're being persecuted and then you're like, okay, we're going to go and we're going to pray for more boldness so that we can end up in prison again. <laughs> Who does that? But that's what the early church did because they understood something that is key and so significant is that Jesus was their Lord. Jesus was their master. In their minds and in their understanding, Jesus was better than them. Because if I'm going to call you Lord, it means that you, you're greater than I am. You're so much greater than I am. That's what they understood. And, and, these, and I'm not saying that it's only limited to these but I'm, I'm saying what, what was going on in the beginning of church, when church started, when the gathering started, when the Lord was building his church, and he's still building his church. But the key thing that they shared with, in common with one another, and all these practices streamed from it, is that I just want to obey you, Lord. I just want to come and I just want to worship you. I want to give my life over to you because that's all that matters. Because I can gain the whole world, but I'll lose my soul in the process. I'll put before you life and death. Jesus is life. And what we see in the world today is this, what I like to call contemporary thoughts. Because the world's thoughts is very opposite to that. And you're probably wondering why I'm talking about that and you'll understand a little bit later on. 
contemporary thought is lovers of self. Oh man, it's about me. It's about the way I feel. It's about what I say that matters. And we see this everywhere. Mainstream narrative is about getting my voice out there so that I can be heard. Sometimes I wonder when we're fighting for social injustices, I wonder if it's actually about the social injustice or if it's about us trying to get my voice heard. (laughs) Jesus said it himself. He said that we're evil. I'm sorry to say it, but... And this is not me telling you guys. This is literally what the scripture says. He said to... (laughs) He said that if you who are evil would get good gifts to your children. I mean, just stop for a second. Did Jesus just call us evil? Because I think he just said it. That's what the scripture says. He said that if you who are evil will give good gifts to your children, imagine your father in heaven, imagine the good gifts that he would give to you. Because contemporary thought says it's about me, it's about my success. It's about my convenience. And I lost my phone. It's yeah. <laughs> but I want to take you to, to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I'm going to read from uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. And this is a warning from Paul. And, and we need to understand that, that when we see other authors in Scripture, we need to treat it as the same authority as Jesus. Because it's in unison. It's not Jesus' teachings and then, oh, Paul, you know, he's not, he's not Jesus. So we can't really, you know, is that teaching really correct? It's inspired by God through his Spirit. We need to take this seriously. And Paul said that you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud scoffing at God, disobedient to the parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. I don't think he's just talking about non-believers. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. What does he say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 5? He said, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. You want to know something? We cannot be connected to God's church without being connected to Christ first. Someone said it. I'm not going to quote this, what they said. (laughs) I'm not going to quote them because they wouldn't want me to. But (laughs) they said that a body without a head is dead. And scripture says that Jesus Christ is the head of this body. And the world says, I'm going to find people that will tell me it's okay to sleep with my partner before marriage. 
I'll find a teaching that, that will tell me that I can be racist. I'll find a teaching that will tell me I can be selfish. I can, you will find teachers because there's false teachers out there. That's the real talk. But Paul also warned that this contemporary thought will come into church and we need to always watch ourselves. Because when I said to you, what, do you, what does church look like and what do we expect of church? We need to be careful that contemporary thought isn't coming into church. Because church is not about me. It's not. I'm not yeah, saying that this is my idea of church. I, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, man, Lord, I've got so many things to repent of. I've got so many things to repent of because you, you're coming back for your bride that's spotless. And you said that, that at, the, at the, second, the second death, which is the final consummation of all things, you said that anybody's name is not written in this book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. This is strong words, but this is the words of our Lord. Because he's calling us and he wants to make us holy. He wants us to let go of our ashes so that he can give us beauty. He wants us to choose life so that we can truly experience life. And let me tell you something. When you let go of lust, what do you pick up? You pick up purity. When you let go of drunkenness, what do you pick up? You pick up sobriety. And I can go on and on and on. Anger, peace. A lot of times when we're preaching these things, people will think, man, you're telling me to give up this, this, this and that. Actually, we're telling you to let go of dirt so that you can pick up beauty. That's actually what we're telling you to do because Christ is life. He is life. And what is the way of Christ? It's a better way. It will cost you because it will cost you to deny yourself. Matthew 16 verses 24 to 26. That if you want to follow me, yeah, you need to die to yourself. Deny yourself and pick up your cross. Because you can, you can gain this whole world. But if you're trying to hold on to your life, guess what? You're going to lose it. But if you actually let go of your life, you'll find it. You'll find life. You'll find purpose. You'll find meaning. And in John 14, I think it's verse 15, he says that if you love me, You obey my commands. Jesus is coming for a bride that's spotless and blameless. And I believe that that spotless and blameless bride is a bride that obeys him. That embraces who he is. And... um, I actually have milk at the back there. It's not because of an illustration. It's actually because I ate spicy food and I shouldn't. So I actually needed it. But I was actually just thinking, should I use that? Because sometimes I wonder if we just come to church every Sunday and then that's our food. That's us and our time spending with the Lord. But I, I believe that God has called us to so much more. And I believe that God wants us to be a powerful church. Not because we're powerful, but because His Spirit will come and live in us. So it's, it's literally God, His Spirit is in me. I mean, should our lives look normal then? And I'm even just thinking, I'm like, do, do we look like a church that's, that's on fire for God? And I'm, I'm, I'm literally just questioning this. This is, this is just thoughts because 
during this lockdown, I've thought about church. I've thought about what the Lord intended for church. I've thought about what he intended for salvation and what it means for me to be a Christian. And I'm, I'm not standing here saying that I've got this all perfect. I'm not saying that at all. I just told you a moment ago, I've come, I'm like, Lord, I've got so much to repent for. So much to repent for. And I'm not also telling you that you need to somehow muster up what it means to love people, to act gentle, to you know, be compassionate and to walk in peace. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying surrender control. Give up your life. Deny yourself so that Christ's spirit may dwell in you. You know, uh, it's, I think it's in John 16 or something like that. Um, but when Jesus was leaving, he said to his disciples, it's better that I go. And then he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said that the Holy Spirit would lead us to truth. And I always thought that, yeah, he's going to lead us to Scripture. He's going to lead us to understanding what Scripture means. And, and we're going to know his truth. But who is truth? Jesus is truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is Christ. And he said that if I go, my spirit will come and he will lead you to what? To truth. So that what may happen? So that Christ may be revealed in me. So that the nature of Christ makes me a new person. So that I look like Jesus. So it's not a thing of I'm telling you guys to, to do A, B, and C and what, what, what. But I'm telling you that if you submit your life to Christ, His Spirit will lead you into truth so that you will stand before the Lord one day and the Lord will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So that the very seat that you're sitting in, someone else can sit in because you've gone out and you've discipled. You've gone out and you've been a light. And we say that we are city on a hill. We say it a lot in church. But guess what? We really are. I mean, if you think about it, the Spirit is in us. And I mean, we're supposed to look like a city on a hill. We're supposed to look like light. And if we're not, we need to, we need to question why. And if we want to be connected to God's church, it's not so that I can come here every week and I can just sit and receive. So I can just... Be fed my, my milk. No. So that I understand that, that this is Christ's church. We need to consider this as sacred and holy. Because it is. This is so sacred that, that multiple people, and I mean, I'm sure that there's people in here that maybe even sit in here, like, I really don't like that person. They really irritate me. <laughs> but it's a mystery that we can actually share the same mission and goal. It's a mystery that we can come together and, and actually share the nature of Christ with one another. Because even if you don't like them, you know you need to love them. And you need the Lord to do that. It's a mystery, this, but it's sacred. And it's a holy thing that we can come to church and gather. And if we don't see it like that, then I think that we need to come before the Lord and give it over to him so that he can help us to see how sacred and holy this is. So that we can understand that the Lord intended for his church to grow so that we wouldn't just come here every week and just, yeah, the coffee was great. 
I preferred it last week or I really like that 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 preacher he drags on a bit. He's not he's not exciting enough. That's not what church is supposed to be. I mean and and, and by the way, this this little period that we're gonna be going in is gonna church is gonna look a bit different. Because we want to be intentional about discipleship. We want to be intentional about that this body, that you who come here, that we actually grow into the stature and the maturity of who Christ has called us to, to, to be in. He's called us to be these people that look like him. And that's our intention. And someone once said it. I'm going to use two analogies. One that's Nicole was actually sharing it with me the other day, and I think it's from the porch church, and I think it's extremely relevant. If you go to a restaurant and you, you go and eat something, it's either you who's going to pay that bill, that debt, or someone else is going to pay it for you. And right now we're all sitting with, well, maybe not so much anymore, but at some point in time we're sitting with debt. So we're either going to pay that debt ourselves, we're either going to pay for the wrath of God, because that's what the scripture says, or we're going to allow Christ's finished work to pay it for us. But either way, I'm just telling you guys, at some point we're going to stand before the Lord, and I think we need to take this so seriously, because someone once said that the church is neither super nor natural nowadays. My question is, are we on fire for God? Is there a real sense of God's presence here? Is there a real sense of of we going out and we making disciples? Is there a real sense of that power in our lives that we flowing in the manifestation of the gifts that God has given each one? He says that one has got the gift of prophecy, one has got the gift of of teaching, one has got the gift of tongues, all those things. I mean, is that really flowing through us? Because we're going to give an account for that. And I believe that everybody who's here has a desire to lean into truth. And everybody who's here has some form of love for the Lord. But are you holding on to things that, that God is telling you, give me those ashes so I can give you my beauty? I believe that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to make you a holy person. He wants to fill your life with Him, with His Spirit, so that you can truly understand what it means to be whole and what it means to come into this space, whether it's through community group, whether it's through whatever, but to come into a place of gathering and say, oh God, I'm, I'm meeting with your bride today. And oh, just help me be a blessing to them so that I can glorify you. So I can stand before you one day and know that I've done well. I've ran my race. And I'm going to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So that I can let go of my life and I can find it in you. I don't want to be a person that thinks about Stephen all the time. I want to be a person that thinks about you. Thinks about the person that's next to me. Because that's the nature of Christ. And I'm not telling us to go back to the first century and start wearing those that clothes that they wore then and you know all observe all their customs. What I'm saying is let's give our lives to Christ so that we in this day and age can look like the church that the Lord wants and 
look like the, cho- the, the church that the Lord describes in his scripture. So what are you holding on to? Are you holding on to your life? What ashes do you need to surrender? Perhaps it's all of you. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're like, man, I know that the Lord intended me to live a more unfired lifestyle. Then ask the Lord to stir your faith. Ask him to stir that faith so that when you go out in places, you you walk in in boldness, you walk in with the Spirit. He wants to make you holy. And he wants to make this even holier. He wants this resurrection power flowing through each of us. So Father, Lord, I just pray that in this moment, just where each and every one of us are, may you reveal the ashes that we're holding on to. Perhaps it's our whole life. Father, I pray that your presence would be manifested in front of each and every one of us, that we'd feel you, Lord. Feel your glory. And I pray that you would help us to let go, to surrender our lives under your Lordship. And just in this moment, I, I could pray it for you, but it, you need to surrender. I'm going to give just a minute or two. And if you want to surrender control to the Lord, that's up to you, man. It's up to you, but he's, he's inviting you to. It may be challenging to, to know that at some point I'm going to let go of this and this and this, and it's going to be a bit painful. It's going to be a bit difficult, oh, but it's so worth it. Let's take a minute or two, and if you surrender, just even in your mind, just say, Lord, I surrendered all to you. So Father, I just pray that if if there's anyone here that surrendered some form of control, Father, I pray that your spirit would just fill them in this moment, Lord. And Father God, I pray that, that you'd even help us as a community, Lord, to not just say, man, I'm surrendering, but to actually surrender and to actually walk beside one another in the surrendering process but that we'd actually come here and we'd try and edify one another, but by resting in you. So Lord, help us as we give you control. Let your power be made so real in our lives. In Jesus' name, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you, Lord, that you didn't just stop there. You rose again. And just like it says in Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, Now death and the grave have been thrown into the lake of fire. 
thank you that you have overcome and we can walk with you, Lord. We can experience your holiness. We can experience your goodness, your love, and your mercy. Pray that we'll just experience your presence like we've never done before. In Jesus' name, amen.